Our good friends at Johnny O welcome you to this episode. And if you've listened to Rich Take on Sports, then you know two things are important. Sharing the impact of sports in people's lives and the Johnny O clothing brand, blending those East Coast classic styles with a SoCal vibe. I've been wearing Johnny O for several years, and now you can as well with 20% off your first order by using the promo code ARICHTAKE at johnny-o.com. Live your best life with the Johnny O style and use promo code ARICHTAKE at johnny-o.com for 20% off your first order. Exploring the impact of sports. Welcome Welcome to Rich Take on Sports, the sports podcast with life. Having conversations and hearing personal stories from those who have been impacted built and inspired by the role of sports in their lives here's your host richmond weaver this is episode 145 thanks for being an investor by investing your time to listen many people attribute sports as having its own ecosystem And from this unique ecosystem, there's a whole host of potential opportunities. And Kelly Brooks has experienced that firsthand. With over 25 years of experience in higher education, Kelly's passion has been to help facilitate those opportunities for others. Before founding the Brooks Element in 2019, Kelly could be found on the hardwood as an assistant basketball coach at the Mississippi University for Women and he continued his coaching career at the University of Alabama for the women's team. He would then spend eight years at the NCAA in Indianapolis as the Director of Academic and Membership Affairs, and now you can find him serving in roles for Renaissance Search and Consulting. He's a member of Forward Progress Athletics Consulting. He continues serving on the Advisory Committee for the Winning Edge Leadership Academy, and he even still finds time enjoying his role as an adjunct professor at Alcorn State University. Our conversation with Kelly Brooks. Kelly, thank you so much. I greatly appreciate you letting me steal some of your time, but I have to ask you, I still just call you Coach Brooks. Hey, man. I mean, once you're a coach, you're always a coach, you're right? You're always there, right? You never, you never look at the game the same. That's right. You're always analyzing the game. You're always looking at it as a coach. You're always watching off the ball. You know, you just can't watch it as a fan. How people are defending each other. Are Ever. they, you know, going under the screen? They're going over the top, <laughs> Ever right? again. So sometimes it just makes me hard. To, it's hard for me to even watch basketball. Yeah, so I just want to watch it as a fan. Yeah, seriously. Do you have a difficult time watching it? I do. It, it, especially when you're so used to being there on the court or standing in the tunnel. And you can really see the athleticism that's happening, which is totally different from even in the bowl on the 10th row. You know, to see the size of the men and women and some of the things that they're doing, you, you don't appreciate it when you're watching it on TV. Agreed. So it's hard to, sometimes it's hard to watch it, you know, unless I'm really a fan of, of what's going on or somebody on the court. Not, not watching it very much these days. Yeah. And I can understand that. It took me a while. I remember when I got out of coaching. So from that perspective, you know, I was a student manager at Clemson, tried to walk on. But that was a humbling experience. <laughs> In 1989, realized yeah. that I'm not as good as I thought I yeah. was. But being you know, part of the team at Clemson and then getting into coaching. And then I played, you know, all growing up. And that aspect was always on the court. So the first time that I had to sit in the stands, I couldn't do it. Yeah, I was like, 
No, my, my seat's right there on the court, yeah. <laughs> you know? I, I'm somewhat so of, a, of a seat, of like a ticket snob. Oh, I am. You know, I, I just, yes. you know, and I'm the same way. I, I grew up, I'm, I'm the youngest of three. My older sisters are 14 and 10 years older than me, and they grew up playing ball. So I was the little kid running around in the gym. I can't remember when I wasn't in the gym. You know what Always I'm saying? Always in the gym, huh? Always in the gym. And then you go through that, and you end up coaching, and you end up working in the athletic department. So I always either was on the bench or standing in the tunnel. On the bench or standing in the tunnel. Or if I'm on a road game, I'm sitting in the, right behind the bench. If I'm no longer coaching, I'm a member of the staff. I'm sitting right behind the bench. So to say, hey, I've got these tickets, I'm like, uh, not to save <laughs> you know. And, and even during my time at the NCAA, I went to my share of, of tournament games and Final Four games. Once again, having a certain level of ticket where it's just not oh, worth it. It's embarrassing sometimes when yeah. I have buddies say they've got tickets and I have to say, yeah, where are those yeah. tickets? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I feel so bad about it. I know it. You know? I'm glad we shared that. But it's the I, truth. I feel bad about yes. it when I do it. And I love that aspect, what you're talking about, standing in the tunnel, because there's no better feeling when the game's getting ready awesome. to start. Yes. And even as a coach, that I mean, the exhilaration that happens right before a game, it's something that's hard to replicate. That's the only thing I really miss. Rich. Is that right? It's ga- from game day, from being a coach, it's really it's game day. It's, it's standing in the tunnel. It's the hours before the game. It's when the kids are warming up. It's smelling the popcorn. All that, that's really the only thing I miss. You know, I, I don't, a lot of people when they leave coaching, they miss a lot of stuff. I don't, you know, I'm a little ways out of it now, right? You know, if, if we had this conversation <laughs> 10 years ago, I might have said something different. That's but, right. But it's, it's just that game day. That's the rush of the game day and accomplishment of, We've done all this, and now we're ready to That's go. That's right. All Put the build-up, all the hard work, because it is a grind. It is. It is a grind. Talking about grind, and you talk about you know you being in the gym, so what was life like for you being in the gym and how basketball became such a big part of your life? Yeah, I, I grew up in a family that competed at a high level. You know, Having a sister that played at Alabama, brother-in-law that played football there, sister that Turned down an Ole Miss scholarship because she wanted to go to Mississippi State. You know, nephew that played at Ole Miss. So I grew up in a family that just, just what we well, were. It was an athletic family. It was an athletic family. Holidays were around athletics. You know, we would have Thanksgiving. And it wasn't during the real Thanksgiving because everybody's at a tournament, right? <laughs> well, so we would have point. Thanksgiving yeah. when we could get together and have Thanksgiving. Um, so I, there, for a lot of my life, I didn't know anything else but, but the gym. But I saw what the gym and basketball brought to my family and others that I was around that, that were heavy into the game. And what do you mean what it brought to them? Just the opportunities, especially coming from small town, Mississippi, um, the opportunities to meet people, see things, travel, engage with individuals that otherwise, for me, I never would have had those opportunities at such a young age to do those types of things. I sat down with John Wooden. And to, to be able to say I sat down with John Wooden in my, I think I was in my early 30s, uh, something like that. I may not have even been 30 yet, you know, right? And, and had a chance to have a conversation, took a picture with him, you know, have an autograph. Those are things that I attribute to having a career and having a passion for sports. And it was all about the opportunity to do things that I never would have done. So that really comes back to why I've continued to be in, in, the, in the world. Sport. And why you still love sports. Yeah, you know, it, it's, it's, it's transitioned from the love of the game to the love of what 
it offers to individuals and the love of the individuals that you meet, learn from, learn the good and bad from, That's right? right? Uh, but to have a chance to, to interact with. So everything that I do now from a career perspective, it's really about using the sports ecosystem to help people with the development of their lives. Well, sports, I mean, it's amazing what it can do, not just from obviously what you just talked about, the opportunities that, but how it shapes people yeah. as well and how you can learn about people, both, again, good and bad. I mean, it can expose both of those. And it's just interesting, the things that you can learn from sports, especially how sports exposes you to failure but it's the sports that teaches you how to deal with the failure. It does. Which is crazy. It does. And it, and it teaches you how to lose, how to miss a shot, how to miss a block, how to miss in the next, the next game. You got to be ready to do That's it all right. over again. You know, a lot of sport, te sport teaches people how to fail and prepare to succeed again quickly. You know, instead of falling in the water and drowning in the water because you can't get back up out of the water. You have to when you play the sport, you right? Do. You have to finish that game we lost, finish, I didn't get that shot, I didn't catch that ball, whatever. You got to be ready to try it all over again. And people that haven't gone through that at an early age sometimes struggle when they first have to do it in real life. They do. I've seen it, man. I've seen it happen. And they, and they fall in the water and they stay down there. And they can't back, can't get back up because it's not the falling in the water that that kills you, that drowns you. It's a staying down under water right. that drowns you, right? <laughs> exactly. So sport, I think, teaches that. It teaches the ability to have to get back up and go do it again. You know? How competitive was your family then? Oh, extremely competitive. <laughs> when you say extremely, oh god, define that. Still, still is. You know, my, my sisters, I, I would see them be at it. And you know how doors now in, in, in more recent homes have the door stoppers, yes. right? You open the door and it, can, it only can go so far because there's a stopper, right? But back then, I mean, you swing a door open because you're at it with somebody. <laughs> they, you run, they run through the door. You're going after them because you're mad at them. You swing the door open. It drives a hole through the drywall in the, in the door, <laughs> in the wall, man, because they're just at it. You know, they're just at it over whatever. And it's not, it's not a game. It's over a comb or brush or, you know, makeup, you know, and I'm just yeah. a little, I'm a little man then, you know, yeah, like you're much younger I, was, than I was much younger. So it's just all funny. And, and it's just, I'm just laughing at it. Right yeah, now. Did you look up to your sisters? I did. I did. It, it was great for me because um, all three of us are first generation college students. Um, but it set the tone for what I felt like I had to accomplish. I felt like there was a lot of pressure for me because they both went on to college so I had to, you know, I felt that way. Did you want to go to college? I always did, but I don't know if there was really truly that pressure from everyone else but, but myself. But I grew up, I grew up in Starkville, Mississippi. So it's a college town, Mississippi State University. And then one sister went on to Alabama after graduating to Tuscaloosa to work. The other went on to play there. So I spent a lot of time on the University of Alabama campus growing up. So I basically grew up on two Division I SEC campuses. And all that comes along with That's all you that. knew. Right. So, <laughs> so it, was, it was immersed in me that this is just where I'm supposed to be. 
But then growing up in, in Starkville in a small college town or Tuscaloosa in a small college town, 30 minutes one way or the other, your environment is totally different. You're in a rural area, and you may not even have set foot on that campus to see what that is to have a goal to strive for it. So I feel like I was lucky to just grow up on those campuses to just be like, man, this is where I'm supposed to be anyway. So I always want, always want to go to college. I always wanted to go to college at those types of colleges too, right? <laughs> and so what was that type of pressure that you were talking about? I mean, was it something that you you know, it was palpable that you felt that, oh, I've got to live up to these expectations. Yeah, yeah. And growing up in a, in a, in a small town like, like Starville, you know, everyone's going to the same, through the same school system. So you have all the same teachers, teachers that start working there. And a lot of them, you know, work for 25 years, at least, you know, back in those days. So I had the, the same teachers that taught my sisters oh, yes. 14 and 10 years prior <laughs> to me. And they knew, you know, they remembered I'm, a, I'm the third Brooks coming through kind of thing. So that's another level of pressure. I'm like, I got to act right because they acted right. <laughs> and they're going to look at me crazy and they're going to call my parents if I don't act right because my sisters acted right. So I, just, I think I just kind of had that pressure on myself to be a certain way as opposed to someone pushing me or saying to me, you got to be this. Was there pressure also from an athletic standpoint that you had to be a college basketball player? That part wasn't the case. There wasn't an athletic pressure. It was always a a feeling of an academic pressure to, you know, be civilized, you know, act right in school, do the right things, and do what you were supposed to do and get good, good grades. The basketball part of it, I played soccer growing up as well. That part was just, I was around it. I loved it. I wanted to, wanted yeah, to you do wanted it. You wanted to do yeah, it. Yeah, I just wanted to go and do it. Uh, so there wasn't a pressure from the family to do it. It was just, that's what I knew to do because that's what we did. Did you always feel that you were going to work in sports to some capacity? I did. And I'll tell you why. So when my sister was being recruited to the University of Alabama, this had to be 1982, fall of 1982. Bear Bryant was the AD and head coach then at the time. So, you know, and I'm not sure how much of this happens now, um, but a lot of times when you're trying to get a high profile recruit in whatever sport, you know, you swing them by the head football coach's office or the AD office. Well, that was a double duty for, for Bear Bryant then. So I remember being a kid and sitting, you know, in the floor in Bear Bryant's office while he's trying to talk my <laughs> sister into coming to school there. Um, and that was my first time going to the University of Alabama campus. And I, I was smitten from then on at that point. I knew. It just burned in your memory, wasn't it? I just it? knew what I, what I wanted to do. I want to be around this. And it, and it became a goal. So I accomplished the goal. I ended up working at the University of Alabama, and it was, it was a dream come true. You know, it was never hard for me to recruit working there because I grew up just loving the place and believing in the place and was a fan. I was more yeah, so of a fan. So were you a big fan? I was a huge fan all my life. Even living in school, Even living Starville. in Starville. I had, a, had one sister that was in Mississippi State and one sister that was in Alabama, and I was right there in the middle, and I chose the Alabama route because of that one experience of going in Coleman Coliseum and they were practicing and throwing the ball around. The girls were throwing the ball around and going to their rec center and seeing this place is huge. And at that point I was just 
in love with the University of Alabama campus in, in the athletic department. So I was a fan growing up in Starkville. I was an Alabama fan. And there was me and another guy that was I played soccer with that, that his, he was an Alabama fan as well. Probably uh, weren't too many Alabama fans there. weren't too many fans during that time. <laughs> so it was always us just battling it out, you know, um, with people. But I, I grew up um, watching, you know, the Bo Jacksons, and all those people that, that played in, in the Iron Bowl and, you know, I attended my share of Iron Bowl, Iron Bowls growing up and working there. Um, so I am forever an Alabama fan. Yeah, so you're from, still an Alabama that, fan that today. experience. Yeah. And, and, and I think, you know, I became, and I became a fan, you know, from that Bear Bryant experience and, and remembering the voice and getting an autograph, you know, picture of him which I think probably turned my sister into a fan. So maybe because they recruited me, they were, they signed her, you know, <laughs> and, and, and it just trailed. And, and through that, you know, she met her husband and, and the family just became that. So I'm, I'm, I'm the one that made it happen, I guess. I love it. I love it. <laughs> well, when Clemson was playing Alabama, you know, for the national championships, uh, it, my joke was to other Alabama fans was that, when you guys got plenty. Just give Clemson yeah. one. Just let us get one. <laughs> you know, it was so much fun watching those games. Um, my wife and I, and she's an Alabama grad, okay. and it's so much fun watching those games because she believes she just she's never met Dabo, but she believes in what he shows and what he demonstrates. And and I've told her that's real. You know, what you see in the interviews and what he talks about from a cultural perspective, that is truly him. And, and, you know, during my time at the NCAA, I've come across many coaches in some of the stuff that you so. see. It's not truly them. You know, you don't, it's not truly them, but that's truly him. So we just really enjoyed watching. And we weren't devastated the times that Clemson beat Alabama. We just weren't devastated because we were like, you know, if it has to happen, that's a good place. At least for it's it, Clemson. At least it's Dabo yeah, Sweeney because exactly. he's an Alabama guy. Exactly. Right? exactly. And now did you guys there at the same time? We were there at the same time. Um, he was a receivers coach on uh, Mike Dubose's staff during the time I was in Alabama uh, on the women's basketball staff. Um, so we had a chance to meet each other. Um, and, and there was a connection prior because he actually played with my brother-in-law on those Stallings teams at Alabama that were successful. Uh, so it was awesome just to meet each other since he knew, knew who I was. I knew who he was. You know, we end up playing noontime basketball. So all the stories that you hear <laughs> yeah. and see in the, in, in the ESPN, you know, shorts on noontime basketball with coaches, all that stuff is true, man. It gets really serious. There's some football. So it goes all the way back then. It he was doing it all, then. He was a he great basketball now, player um, then. A lot, of those, a lot of those football coaches and, and track coaches are really good basketball players. So they get heated in there. It's not like they get in the gym and feel like, oh, this is just some cardio I'm getting in. No, 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 no. They're, they're competitors, even if it's not their sport. And hey, some it's of them competition. are just really good athletes. Yeah. And they put it on the court in that basketball gym as well. Why did you want to be a coach? I think it's because I saw what the game did for so many people, once again, going, going back to providing opportunities to get out of some of their circumstances. And I just wanted to perpetuate that more, even past my time of playing in sport, even past my time of being in college and being around the sport. I wanted to do what I could to offer those opportunities. Um, it wasn't as much about the technical teaching of the game as much as it was about giving them an opportunity to be around and be in the right environment to learn life 
so they can be successful beyond the game. I love teaching the game. Don't get me wrong, but I just believed in the opportunity. I really believe in what college athletics provides. Beyond all the conversations of pay for play and name, image, and likeness and, and all of that, and we can get into plenty of those conversations because I, I, I know the root and the heart of a lot of that just from my time working at the NCAA headquarters. But beyond all that, I truly believe in this, the experience that student athletes get while they're in college and participating in their sports. Yeah, because there's so much more than just the game itself, right? There is so much more. Students get so many opportunities to excel, to grow as a student athlete from the people that are that they're around, from the conversations that they get to have with individuals that maybe would not even notice them or want to have a conversation with them if they were not a student athlete. The development they, opportunities they get within the athletic part, department off of the court, off of the field. There's so much more to it. They eat really good food. They travel really well. They wear really nice apparel and gear, <laughs> you know, and, and this is not just at the Clemson's and Alabama's. You know, there are a lot of schools that offer so much to a student athlete that don't get all the hype that some of those schools get. And, and, and those experiences are just as good. Is there also a irony that comes along with it in terms of, yeah, they have all of these ad- advantages, but they're also so, so consumed with their sport. Do they miss out on some other things as far as just being a traditional student yeah. as well? There are definitely negatives, too, that come along with being a high-level college student athlete. Um, and that's why I really respect students when they're searching for that balance. And many times students make the decision on where to attend because of the fact that they're going to get that balance. But it's, it's, hard, it's hard to fight the, the opportunity of being immersed in their sport and getting all that comes from that as well, especially at the high, you know, power five level level schools. And those individuals do miss out on some things because of what they put in a sport from the opportunity to be just a normal student and be involved in normal student things. But there are many student athletes that participate at a high level that make it intentional to do those other things, but they have to do it and be very intent about it. They have to force it. It doesn't come as natural. I remember um, looking at the story of Derek Brown here recently that was drafted by the Carolina Panthers, Auburn guy, um, Atlanta Metro, athlete up in Sugar Hill, Georgia. He was the Student Athletic Advisory Council president at Auburn. To be a top five pick, you know, projected to do these things, but still be intentional about the opportunity to do things off of the field as a student athlete took a lot for him to do that, I would imagine. I don't know Derek personally, but he was intentional about that. So you have to be intentional to be involved on campus, clubs, things of that nature, because it's easy to get wrapped up in your sport and not do any of those. I things. think so as well. And I, I think it's interesting because you can, there's an aspect, you have this tunnel vision because you're wanting to perform at a certain level. And, you know, obviously these athletes, they're competitors as well. I mean, that, that's a part of it. So it, it's that aspect of where can they get the mentors that can help them understand the importance of being intentional the importance of being persistent, the importance of being professional. So I'm so I'm just so glad you that? mentioned that. that. That's a key component. I think that athletic directors 
have to prioritize when they're hiring their staff these days. It, that's another filter that needs to be used. And not just the coaching staff, the marketing staff, the compliance staff, the, the academic support staff. There need to be individuals that are walking around the athletic department, walking around the athletes that have those things in mind to nudge them, to inject those things, to ask those questions, to make sure that they're getting that full experience. Because many people, when they say, hey, I played at that high level, but when I look back at it, what made me successful now are those other experiences just as much as the experience I got during practice and on the field. Oh, yeah. You know, and I'm sure that you hear that many, many times. For sure. And that's why, you know, I, I think there's other avenues that can be afforded to some of these scholar athletes, student athletes, like the Winning Edge Leadership Academy. So why is something like that so important to you to be involved in? The Winning Edge, I feel like it's another avenue of intent. Everything that they're doing is very intentional based on their experiences, the individuals that are involved in the winning years, the experiences that, they, that they've had. So everything that you look at that they're doing from the academy to offering webinars to learn remotely to offering events that give you an opportunity to learn about sports, but also entertainment, but to network with individuals that can pour into you and learn. And that's why I want to be involved. I want to be one of those individuals that can give back, that can pour into, because what they do is lined up with my mission in life as, as well. They're using that ecosystem of sports to help better lives. And many of those lives are first-generation college students. They're minority student athletes that struggle to find mentors. And, and, and I did as well. You know, I, I feel like I've been very successful in my time in working in, in college athletics and being a coach. But the people that championed me were there was a, there was white males, there were white females that believed in me and that championed me. But I had struggled to find minorities that that paved the way, that had done some of the things that I've done. So what Winning Edge is doing is not making that a struggle for individuals that say, "Hey, I want to learn." but I haven't had a chance to learn from people that look like me that have had some similar experiences to be aware of those pitfalls and be aware of those road bumps so I can avoid them. And that's why Winning Edge is doing the things that they're doing. Yeah, because there's that aspect. I mean, you've walked in their shoes, so to speak. Yes. There, there's a big aspect of people got to feel that they can relate. Yes. Uh, relatability yes. and authenticity. You know, yes. that, that, that's a big part of it. And it is a huge part of it. They feel like they have to relate. But it's, not, it's also being able to see yourself and what you can accomplish in 10 years, in 15 years, in 20 years. And it's hard to see that in someone that hasn't had a similar background. So the winning edge seems to be, when I look at you in the winning edge, it's just an extension of you coaching, right? It is. <laughs> you it's, get to continue coaching. It's an extension of me coaching. It's an extension of, of the consulting work that I do these days. It's really all about how can we help individuals improve and get better and reach their own goals. And we just do it in the world of sports. Why did you leave coaching then to make the transition uh, into the NCAA? A lot of my priorities changed. Um, I wanted to focus on family and I wanted to, you know, it's going to get married and have kids. 
And I'm like, man, do I, do I want to be on the road uh, during, you know, during those times? <laughs> and you know, like there was, and I coached in the SEC, so there was never a time when I was sitting still or in the car or in the airport that I wasn't on the phone. Or I wasn't writing a letter. Back those days, we wrote letters, That's right? right? <laughs> yeah, 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 there was no texting, there was no Instagram. Um, so I, I, I wanted to reprioritize my time a little bit. Um, so that's what made me change. And I, and I took the avenue of getting into the regulatory area of, of the academic eligibility and the compliance area of, of, uh, of sport, which led me down the road of, of working at Xavier University and then the NCAA. Was that a difficult decision to leave coaching? It was. Because, I, like I said, I, we, I grew up around around the sport of basketball. So it was very, very difficult. And, and I said, I'm going to make an investment in myself and in, in my life uh, to make a change and, and to do something different. And it was, the, it was the best decision I made. Like, it was the right decision. Now, but did you know? Tough. You say that it's the right decision. Did you know it at the time? I did not know it at the oh, time. Oh, this feels good. Yeah. You didn't know it. I didn't know it at the time. It, it was the right decision. Part of the thing that helped me, though, when I made the decision to leave and I went on to Xavier University, and I, and I tell this to many people, I was fortunate to be at Xavier during a time where there were some really good basketball coaches on the men and women's side. So I still had the chance to sit around. You know, Thad Model was the head coach. Sean Miller was on his staff. Um, Chris Mack was on the staff as well, who's the head coach of Louisville oh, yeah. now. So, you know, you ring off the name. Kevin McGuff was the head women's basketball coach. who's the head coach at Ohio State now on the women's side, very successful. So I had a chance to still get my basketball fix, you know, so I, I was able <laughs> yeah. to wane myself off of it a little bit. Yeah, it wasn't just, just a quick. It wasn't a, cur- yeah. it wasn't a cold turkey. Yeah. So I was able to attend practices, sit in the room and talk basketball with those guys, travel with their teams and be around the team. So I didn't have to go cold turkey and just miss the total team environment because they, they, they opened their doors to allow me to spend time with their team, spend time with their staff, travel with their team. So, it was, you know, I almost felt like I still was, you know, coaching and in that environment. Although, you know, when it was game day, I was sitting behind the bench instead of on the bench <laughs> no, for those yeah, two no. years. But it was like a grace period. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it was like a grace period. And I think that helped me a lot, Rich. I think I that helped so. me a lot. Yeah, because mine was cold turkey. And part of it that I didn't get back into coaching, it was just my own process that I didn't, I wasn't intentional and continued to go down you know, that path. And I, I definitely look back on it and regret that I didn't you know, try to get back into coaching. But I'd gotten married and it was the same type of things. Because like, I understood the coaching life. It's not as glamorous as you Many think things. it is. Yeah, it's, it's definitely not. When you were at the NCAA, though, there's, there's one aspect of the NCAA is that uh, the vantage point or the view, uh, the optics is that, oh, it's the NCAA. You know, it's great. You know, it's this big entity. But there's this other side that a lot of people look down upon the NCAA. Yeah. Did you have to deal with that type of yeah. mental struggle, so to speak? In, in the college athletic world, and then compared to that in the normal layman outside of contract <laughs> place, it depends on who you talk That's to. That's right. Right. When you say this is where you're going or this is where you work or this is where you've been, they'll look at like, oh, you went over to the dark side. Right. <laughs> and, then, and they'll smile about it. And then there's others that's like, oh, that's amazing. You know, tell me about that. So it really depends on 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 who you talk to. There are a lot of lot of uh, perceptions of the NCA, uh, good, bad and ugly that some they deserve, you know, some they, they do not. Um, it's very difficult for people to, to comprehend the fact that, yeah, there's this headquarters of the NCA, but it's not the same 
as the NFL office. It's not the same. There's an association that there are a lot of people that are involved to, to make decisions and votes have to be done. So that, that head office is not just saying, yep, this is how we're going to do it. Boom, let's go do it. Like, you know, the, it's the committee NBA. after committee, right? It's the committee after committee after committee. And, and I always give the analogy of a, of a big ship like the Titanic, right? And, and Titanic might not be the best one because it, that one sunk, but, you know, <laughs> to, to, sure, to turn that big cruise ship, you know, it takes a while to, to, to make that move to get it pointing in a, in a different direction. And, and it doesn't take that, that fast for it to happen for um, an Adam Silver at, at the NBA office. You know, they're able to make decisions for the betterment of their association and move forward really quickly. quickly. Um, where the NCAA... There's a lot of that has to happen to move that big ship just a notch. And, uh, and, and people aren't used to that. They're, they get impatient um, because they want it to happen quickly. Things can happen a lot quicker than they should sometimes at the NCA. Um, and that's some of the negative. Um, but it's hard to, to make people understand how things move so slowly. Did you get frustrated why. with being there at times? I did. I did. Um, and it's just because of you have your own feelings and thoughts about how Things can happen. But once again, you know, you're in a situation where at that at that NCAA headquarters, you're basically a facilitator of action. You know, you're you're not a decision maker for the most part. The decisions that you make are made based on the guidance and the parameters that you're given by the the institutions. So even though when you are in a situation to make decisions, you're making decisions based on the parameters that you're given. The thought is that you're hired and you're putting a role based on also your ability to make good decisions and the decisions that you make are the right ones and the moral ones and you have the right intention behind them. But not every time it's, it's a decision that you would make if it was just for That's your right. personal situation. Why did you leave? Well, I left because it was going to give my family an opportunity to get back closer to our families. Uh, my wife's from Southern Alabama. You know, I'm from Mississippi. And, something and I, about the and South, There's right? something about the South. <laughs> um, our daughters were coming of age to, to start in elementary school. So we could have stayed there in Indianapolis for another 10 years and then grew up there. But my wife's from a huge family. She's the oldest of seven. Oh, so wow. there are a lot of cousins and yes. uncles and aunts <laughs> that we really wanted them to um, have a chance to experience and, and grow up in the culture of the South. Plus... That last winter in Indianapolis, <laughs> I think it was the same time that we had the snowmageddon here in oh, Atlanta. Yes. I think it was that winter. And I, for whatever reason, had the longest driveway in my neighborhood and, and just shoveling and shoveling and shoveling no, that thank last you. winter. I was done. I knew I was going to have to get me a power blower <laughs> that next spring if we stuck around. Um, but we decided that was time to make the transition anyway. I remember my wife and I, we had moved to Lexington, Kentucky. And this was in 2000, I think. And I was a district sales manager. And it was Easter. And it was snowing. Yeah. And my wife's from Gainesville, Florida. Oh, and, man. and she was like, all right, pack it up. <laughs> I, I, I can just imagine. Snow at Easter can't happen. My wife grew up basically down at the Florida Panhandle, you know, in the south end of Alabama. So she just grew up in the sun. You talk about being in Lexington or Indianapolis or Cincinnati in the middle of Those winter. Those are some cold winters. Cold and just gray. Gray, you know? I know. And I think she has that, 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 that seasonal thing going on. <laughs> so I had to put her back in the sun. Yes, I understand. Make her happy. Right. right? Yes, make right. her happy. You also mentioned previously when we were talking about the winning edge, 
that there are some synergies that you felt with Winning Edge Leadership Academy and your consulting group, the Brooks Element. What do you mean by that? You know, everything that we do with the Brooks Element, it's meant to be a, a hub to bring individuals together that have a passion for college sports and what it does for individuals. Same as our conversation. Um, so there are individuals that are involved in the Brooks Element that have a talent and an expertise in college athletics and want to offer that talent and expertise in some way through consulting, through offering services. Um, so that's a hub that, that we brought together. Um, and every time I talk to someone about the Brooks Element, I get excited just because of the reason that I feel like, you know, we're just here to help people. We're here to help people from putting on events to make people better at what they do in their profession in college athletics. Um, so putting on those professional development opportunities. Uh, we also offer initial eligibility guidance for high school. You know, there are a lot of families that, that struggle with just being informed and knowing how those student athletes transcript translate to being eligible to go on to, to play in college. So we provide that support for individuals. So everything that we do, how are we helping someone get better and accomplish their goals? Who came up with the name Brooks Element? Man. Because I love that. Yeah. And how you've tied it into the whole chemistry aspect yeah. of the, yeah. so you know, the periodic up, table. <laughs> I grew up with a math and science background. You know, I, I, I worked during the summer at a veterinary school there at Mississippi State University. I thought that I was going to be a computer engineer. And actually, when I started college, um, I was on a computer engineering scholarship and I changed it over to to, to math. I got my, my, my degree in math because I just didn't want to be in the computer lab at three o'clock every night, you know, in the morning. So, but my background is in math and science. So, you know, I just started going through my head of, you know, what can I tie in kind of that chemistry of bringing people together to create the right formula that works for success. So that's how I came up with, with element, the Brooks element. It just comes from that math and science background of mine. I, I think it's very witty or, you know, <laughs> how you pull all of that together. Yeah, thank you. What about words of wisdom? From a perspective, though, any phrases, mottos or quotes or just life advice yeah. that has meant a lot to you? Yeah, I'm not a huge quote guy, um, but I, I do talk a, a lot about vision and a lot about, you know, what direction are, are you going in your life? And so you mentioned words of wisdom, and I really think just that word itself, wisdom, is the key to pretty much everything that, that we do in life. And, and wisdom is really defined by having a certain level of knowledge, whether you gain that knowledge through study, through some type of experience, and then applying that knowledge. So having knowledge and applying that knowledge, and that shows, that shows wisdom. Everyone that is wise has a lot of knowledge, but there are a lot of people that have a lot of knowledge that are not very wise and they're doing some really stupid things out there. So how can you take your knowledge and apply it to make the right decisions in life, to grow in life, to develop in life, to treat people the right way? So I, I just tend to talk about wisdom a lot with, with younger individuals in the business, with my, my children, with family members, because I think that's really a key to life is just being wise. It's not just learning. It's just not just having the knowledge, but it's applying that knowledge correctly. And then that demonstrates, you know, wisdom. I think the key word also that you said is being able to apply it, that yeah. application. How are you trying to teach that to your daughters? You know what? We discuss a lot of things in life that happen socially, that happen on TV, 
that many parents may say they're too young. You know, those aren't things that you that we would discuss with our daughters at this time. We discuss a lot of adult scenarios with our daughters to just start create that filter to learn about life, to be able to see the world the way we think they should see it with the correct filters and not let other people, other things, other technologies to shape those filters. So we started very, very early with just talking about scenarios, things that happen to us, things that happen every day, and we talk through how that happened, was it good, bad, or ugly, how you handled it, and that's why we feel like we're, we're, we're helping them gain the knowledge, but we're talking about the application of the learning that knowledge as well. Well, I think that's very wise. Thank you. <laughs> because there's an aspect of also just getting in the habit of being open and being able to talk through yes. things. That's important because, yes. I mean, and that's just the way kids are at times. You just become an introvert to a certain degree, especially if it's uncomfortable type of topic. So it's important to kind of exercise that muscle to have those open communications. You're so right. You're so right, Rich. Coach Brooks, thank you, sir. Thank you. I Thanks for thank having you me. I've enjoyed the conversation, Rich. Have me back anytime. Yes, sir. Thank, thank you. The beauty of sports can be measured in so many different ways, but oftentimes we forget to truly measure the opportunities we're afforded through sports and its unique ecosystem. While opportunities aren't guaranteed, having people like Kelly that can help recognize these opportunities does increase the chances for people to produce positive transformation in their lives and even in others. Now that finishes episode 145, and you can also watch some of our episodes by visiting our Rich Take on Sports YouTube channel. And remember, focus forward so we don't live in the past. All the best, everyone. You've been listening to Rich Take on Sports, the sports podcast with life. Visit richtakeonsports.com to subscribe and catch up on any episodes you might have missed. You can also follow us on Twitter at Rich Takes Sports. Thanks for listening.